Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. So we did our best. We gave Phil Morris uh, <laughs> a deadline. We tried to hold off as long as we possibly could uh, so he could discover, rediscover mm-hmm. episode three of The Web of Fear, but we just couldn't wait any longer. Nope. So we watched uh, episode three, The Reconstruction, and then episode four where everybody actually moved, which was a nice change. Yes. Yeah. We thought we we would reward ourselves <laughs> since it's been a while since we recorded an episode so that we'd watch a moving uh, episode. I mean, I, I I don't mind reconstructions, nope. as as listeners will know, and this is a, a a pretty good one, so it wasn't so bad. But I was, I was musing the other day, like I always thought it was weird that you know once we once we discovered that episode three had been originally one of the rediscovered episodes mm-hmm. it had been found, and then somebody had just taken it and walked off with it. I always thought that was so weird in my head, like why would you randomly steal? that one like it's number three it's not going to be on the top of a stack or anything like that and then at some point like a light bulb appeared over my head and i was like oh of course somebody probably wanted the first appearance of uh lethbridge stewart possibly although i'm not sure that maybe phil morris was saying oh yeah then this one is the one in which the brigadier first appears but i don't know it feels like a lot of lore to be um you know discussed about a missing episode when you i don't know i it, it, it to me it, it feels like it's random it's a shame that no you don't think so i think that's way too big of a coincidence i really do well it's a one in six chance you're gonna get the episode well not really a one in six chance a episode of the web of fear maybe just little oh, we'll just take that one there what a shame he didn't take episode one i mean i feel like well if <laughs> i feel like if it was sort of a random thing then you were just like i'm gonna steal one of these the first one is the one that you would just logically take. You wouldn't take one from the middle. Right. You wouldn't take one from the end. Why episode three? I think I think it was somebody who knew something and who who knew enough about it to know that this is the first appearance of Nicholas Courtney in the as not the first appearance of Nicholas Courtney, but the first mm-hmm. appearance of, of him in this character that, that he made famous and that was so beloved. Hmm. Yep. I wonder. Well, it did disappear in Africa, mm-hmm. in Nigeria, not not when it came back to the UK. So someone in Joss, Nigeria, who was involved in the TV station must mm-hmm. have known something about it to sort of take it for a ransom, so to speak. Who knows? Yeah, maybe not for a ransom, maybe just to have, but but yeah, anyway, that's that is my theory. Mm-hmm. It's totally a headcanony theory, but I think, you know, if if I were the kind of despicable uh-huh. person who would steal a Doctor Who episode, mm-hmm. which of these six would I choose? That would absolutely be the one I would take. It's not, uh, you're not the first person to think of that, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I, I think a few people have said, oh, well, obviously they would take that one for the exact reasons that you, you stipulate. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe not. But anyway, I mean, yeah. The, it's the first time we get to see the, uh, the colonel. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to call him the brig but he's not a brigadier yet. Uh, and yeah, and I, I find that it's just, and a zillion trillion other podcasts have already <coughs> talked about this, but the fact that this is, it's such a great base under siege story. And, you know, once you kind of get to the point where you realize that there's a mole, somebody has infiltrated and, you know, suspicion is being thrown around left and right. And I've seen this before mm-hmm. and I don't actually remember for sure. At this, after this episode, I think I know. Uh, who who it was that was the culprit but up until about halfway through this episode I still wasn't sure I kept going back and forth being like was it this person was it that person and they do a great job of 
making it look like it might be Lethbridge Stewart, mm-hmm. except that we know that it's not him, simply because we know that he makes it through this episode and becomes a loyal friend and confidant of the doctor. Yeah. But uh <clears throat> but it's it's very nicely written and staged. It's such that it it could be him. I like how they they only start spreading suspicion, uh like sort of like casting suspicion, go, oh, there must be a mole in here after everyone has sort of dispersed. Everyone's gone up and like and there's little separate directions. And so there's no chance for people to sort of like behave uh, suspiciously around the base we see like hands or somebody like pulls the cord somewhere it's tough to tell in the recon episode mm-hmm. what happens when it pulled the alarm or something and then someone else is like tinkering with the uh, the yeti statue but apart from that we have no idea who it might be and you're right I'm like you I think who is it that ends up sort of being the traitor and that we won't tell you here just in case you're watching for this for the first time um, but it, it is expertly crafted isn't it it really is it is just it, it feels very claustrophobic and the air of suspicion there's a, just a, a great mood um, sort of cast over the whole thing and and yeah and it doesn't it doesn't ever feel like it is dragging because you know there are constantly sort of people coming and going and matching up in different configurations of characters so I mean you know when you kind of look at it from the wide view yeah it is a lot of sort of running around and coming and going but when you're in there mm-hmm. and watching it happen it just it still feels tense um, until you get to the battle scene. But the less said about that, the better. You don't like the battle scene, apparently. So my memories of 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 watching this and watching the enemy of the world, um, I always just kind of thought that this was the, the web affair was kind of meh. And now I'm realizing that the reason that I thought that is because the sequence that stuck out to me for some reason that just like stayed in my head for so long was the battle sequence in episode four, which I, it's expertly done. Like it's, it's, it is, it is very well directed and there are a lot of people that love it a lot. And from what I understand, it was a huge part of why this episode was so fondly remembered for a lot of people. Like there were a lot of young kids who watched that and were just wowed. And I'm very glad it exists. And I'm very glad that all of those kids enjoyed it. And all those people think it's fun. That is the, like epitome of the kind of scene that just bores me to tears so it's so it stuck out in my head and that it just sort of cast a pall over the entire six episodes for me in my memory so I'm, I'm glad that we are revisiting it so that I can sort of put that scene in its actual contextual place in this story it really isn't that much of this story most of it is is quite excellent and that is also quite excellent it's just not excellent for me you're gonna love the John Pertwee era particularly Burley bits yeah, it's, there's a reason that I have sort of not bothered to watch a lot of it. Yeah, that's uh, well, there's several reasons. Yeah. That's one of them. Well, this this uh, that whole sequence and indeed the first four episodes of this story are very much the basically the um pilot episode for the 1970s we are watching right here with an army sort of uh <laughs> floundering against an alien invasion and only the brigadier is the only one who uh, escapes with his life. Colonel. Colonel, uh, I will always call him the brigadier. I've already promoted him already. It's um, uh, it's it's rather sad actually because well, it goes from like a whole um base full of soldiers to within two episodes. You know, we lose Weems in in episode yeah, three. That was so sad. I liked him. Yeah, I, I did too. And then and then we lose basically everyone, including Captain Knight. I forgot that Captain Knight died so early. Oh, me too. That was that was a huge bummer. Yeah, because mm-hmm, I liked him. 
I also liked memes. Yeah. Every, well, I mean, everybody's dying, basically. They're all getting picked off, but... Yeah. You know, I had my favorites and they are now gone. Yeah, but they all died like, you know, in we lost like, uh, well, staff has disappeared and, and the other guy in that party died. Like everyone like just gets gilled in, in yep. fairly rapid succession. Um, and Richardson Morgan's character, who was the last of the Brigadier's um, crew to die out there in, on, in Covent Garden. And he comes back and he's very shell-shocked and very like, just like, oh my God, all of them, all of them gone. Poor Colonel. Nicholas Courtney's performance in this, I mean, as far as I can tell in both of these episodes that we watched, uh, it's just, it's stellar. Uh-huh. He he's he has got this character down from the beginning, and I realize I'm looking at it from, you know, from the future looking back, and, uh, and yeah, like, this is just, this is what I think of when I think of the Brigadier, like, this style of, you know, he's not, he's a no-nonsense soldier, but he's not harsh and like cold and stony he he's trying to he's trying to get things done he's got a little bit of softness underneath but not so much that he's not um that you don't take him seriously Uh and you know yeah he 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 seems a little bit suspicious at moments but it's it's really just you know the camera angles and the music and stuff like that uh so i'm 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 very much enjoying him and yeah like his his sort of shell-shocked attitude that he he lost his entire squadron of men again for the second that's mm. the second time that this has happened to him like that's that's super demoralizing <laughs> what kind of a commander is he if he keeps losing his entire squadron of men and yet the, we know at some point in the future they're going to promote him yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the neat thing is is that uh nicholas courtney was originally cast as captain knight and they had somebody else as the role of Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, but that's somebody else. I think either was late or whatever reason, but the, but was basically let go or stepped down or stepped away. And so they said, "Well, Nicholas Courtney, um, you, would you like the role of Colonel Lethbridge Stewart?" And so he said yes, and his life changed forever because he was involved in the show from basically here until the time he passed away. His life changed forever. And the show changed forever because had it been that other schmo, um, it, I, chances are it wouldn't have he wouldn't have resonated the way that he did with mm-hmm. with the character with the uh, with the audience and and uh, and yeah we might not have ever had the return of that character because you didn't have Nick Courtney mm-hmm. um, doing it so wow man okay if if time travel is a real thing right. I feel like you and I need to go back in time and you know just Shanghai that guy <laughs> make sure he never makes it to the yeah. set or whatever happened just to make sure that this actually happens or maybe a time traveler already did it and that's why we have Nick Courtney Nick Courtney is uh, the Brigadier maybe maybe it was Douglas Canfield Douglas Canfield directed mm. Dalek's Master Plan where he cast Nicholas Courtney for the first time in Doctor Who mm-hmm. Canfield like many directors have their little company of actors who they draw upon and that's probably why nick courtney was uh was probably cast in web of fear at the in the first place and mm-hmm. and here we are and campfield of course directed the sequence that you mm-hmm. were bored by but just watching that in context of doctor who up until now there has been nothing like yeah, that huge true. action sequence mm-hmm. on film in the streets of london you know oh yeah it it, it really felt epic and, and eh, epic's not the right word cinematic but you know much bigger and and more impressive i don't like i just i really feel like watching this entire story has felt very like this one and the previous one actually in the enemy of the world like the kind of 
B movie mm. quality, and I mean that in a in a good way. Like that is that is a compliment. Like I feel like I'm actually watching a cinematic production of something. You know, the the performances and the music, even though it is the music I associate with Cybermen, <laughs> not Yetis. Yep. Space adventure being used for the last time in Doctor Who is for the Yetis. Yep, but yeah, it just it feels really really big, and I mean I know there's a lot of wackiness going on behind the scenes but it feels like it's a really tight production like things are 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 very very well made and yeah it's just it's good stuff it's it's a subtle um evolution isn't it like it's only been five years now since not even actually this is just early 1968 so just over four years since they started making doctor who Mm -hmm. but you you can tell how much better made it is now as it's just a tv show and just Mm -hmm. like it's a lot slicker the cuts between scenes are a lot quicker and stuff Mm -hmm. and that's still just sort of being directed on the fly but they're all a little more proficient at at making television yeah i mean a lot of the the earlier I mean, even some of the later Hartnell stories feel like a stage play that just has some cameras pointed at it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I love a lot of those a lot of those stories but here it actually feels like like I said like watching a film you know maybe maybe a film from like the 50s or something but still it takes a while for television to to catch up to where where movie making um, was at the time that's just kind of how it works Mm -hmm. so so yeah here it just feels like a more a more polished product it's it's not so much just three cameras pointing at a stage it's a set made to look like these you know claustrophobic little rooms and the set made to look like the tunnels and yeah it's a it, it feels good and and the acting too um yes. you know because a lot of actors in in the early days of television were you know obviously from the theater maybe some from film as well william hartnell certainly was a um, very experienced film actor at the time but then you get patrick troughton who has mostly spent his career in television up to this point mm-hmm. and hated hated the stage called it all that shouting in the evening <laughs> and you notice that his best performances are things like speaking very quiet mm-hmm. And Douglas Canfield gets the camera right up there and the microphone's right up there so that he can be that subtle. Mm-hmm. And it sort of makes for a much more claustrophobic setting. Troughton is a very claustrophobic doctor. <laughs> Perhaps that's why Base Under Sea Stories work so well with him because mm-hmm. he speaks so quietly and so claustrophobically that it, mm-hmm. it sort of adds to it. Yeah, I noticed a number, especially in episode four, a number of, of moments of the doctor saying something not quite as an aside, mm-hmm. but almost like you kind of almost got that feeling because he was, you know, sort of low in his register and 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 yeah, and because you're so nice and close up on him, you get the the facial expressions. Just this is this is an excellent excellent Trouton story. As fun as it was to see him play Salamander mm-hmm. previously, I feel like this is actually a much better representation of the Second Doctor at his best. Yeah, and I like I like the action scene where he, he comes in. He's like just flailing his arms <laughs> on that Yeti and yes. doing nothing. Oh my god, that was amazing! Like that's that's really cool too. I mean, when you think about it from a character perspective, he's the doctor. He knows that he has no chance against the Yeti, mm-hmm. and and yet he sees a human being in danger, and he just throws himself in there yeah. to to try to protect him. And he's and oh, and he's really heartbroken when he sees that he failed mm-hmm. because yeah, he he didn't do anything to the Yeti. They turned and left for completely different reasons but um had had they not been called away so luckily the doctor would certainly be next and he would probably also be dead Mm -hmm. but it didn't work out that way 
uh, you were annoyed in episode three by Victoria. Yes. And I think part of the reason that I was ignored by ignored annoyed <laughs> I wish I could ignore it uh, annoyed by Victoria is because I have liked her so much in so many other stories she really started off I think as a much stronger companion and you know had canon wise you can say oh this has just been wearing on her all of this traveling in the TARDIS and but uh, I, I feel like she has gotten much more just scaredy cat right. <laughs> like she's just she freaks out at, at everything um, much more than she has done in some of her earlier stories but I guess you know I guess you can kind of see a bit of a, a decline happening there so I mean I'm I'm like I said I'm, I'm headcanoning it in that you can only th- a person can only take so much and she's mm-hmm. just it gets worse and worse for her every every time she's out but she just she was also at times we've seen her be quite clever yeah and here we see her just spilling all the beans about the TARDIS and the fact that the soldiers are going off to blow up, you know, whatever, so that Chorley can can run off and do whatever because yeah. he disappears. So I just and then the doctor's really upset with her, and I'm like, yeah, go doctor. Mm-hmm. I am also really <laughs> upset with her. So again, you can you can very well head in that to say that. Because she is so, you know, frayed to her last nerve and worn down and tired and, you know, terror takes a toll on you and it makes you dull and fuzzy, I guess. So she just wasn't thinking straight and that was why she was talk, 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 talking. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make me actually like it any better. I want, do you notice any specific time when perhaps her character changed? I'm just curious. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember where it was now because this is lazy Doctor Who and I don't take notes. Yeah. It's just because I mean when she first started it was Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis as the producer and script editor uh, respectively and then Victor Pemberton came in briefly for Tomb of the Cybermen and now it's Derek Sherwin and Peter Bryant sort of Mm -hmm. the new production team and I'm wondering if they sort of saw the character as something else or perhaps in the in the eye of all these other guest characters, there is only one person who can sort of like, you know, get the plot moving in that sort of regard. And it would be the companion to sort of spill the beans unknowingly. Because it feels like Jamie doesn't have a lot to do in this story either, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can very easily have seen them writing it so that Jamie just, you know, not not because he's scared or stupid, just because he's just sort of not thinking or talking to somebody else. I could I could yeah. picture him spilling the beans as well yeah he doesn't he doesn't have a lot to do i feel like i mean in a story with this many characters and this much going on it's hard to have a lot for everyone you know there are times where i'm like the doctor hasn't been here to do anything for a while either so as he wasn't in episode two he was on vacation but he oh he was just fine it just was knocked out for a bit now let's just move on it would they they brushed past the the fact that troughton was gone for episode two very quickly in episode three yep they did and victoria i mean are you sure yeah, yeah. and then he's like yep i'm fine yep. <laughs> moving on mm-hmm. yeah but i i think I think you're right, because we did start paying closer attention to Victoria at that time. And I, I wouldn't say it was like a super harsh change, but it does seem to to have moved in that direction, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then, as we said, a lot of people die at the end, uh, before the end of episode four. And so now it's a much smaller <laughs> crew being uh, thwarted by the Yeti, as we see mm-hmm. at the end, with, with Travers coming through, having been dragged off unconscious at the beginning of episode three. Mm-hmm. He returns in a catatonic state at the end of episode four. Mm-hmm. Also kind of interesting that they didn't kill Anne. 
Like if there was some sort of thought behind that, if they... Well, we like Anne. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, we also like Weems. That's true. Yeah, so that may be sad. Um, but, you know, maybe they, they dragged him off. Obviously, he wasn't dead because, as the doctor suspected, they probably needed him for something. Mm-hmm. So maybe they left her alive knowing that he wouldn't bother to help them if he, you know, had thought his daughter was already dead. Mm. He could just refuse and be killed, and that would be the end of it, so... Okay, I've I've made it make sense for myself in my head. There, I talked myself into it. Okay, maybe maybe they only thought that uh, that um, Travers himself was like the main reason, and that that she was just sort of the the harmless assistant. Mm-hmm. When of course we know better. N- maybe. No? Mm. Yeah, we we certainly know better. Oh, I did like that moment too, where the doctor is complimenting her on on her work. Yep. Like this is this is excellent work, Miss Travers. Yep. Yeah, it is. Because she's good. Yeah, she is good. Yeah. That was a neat moment, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. And it it did not feel patronizing or anything at all. Because, you know, sometimes you get the doctor, I guess this is more later in Doctor mm-hmm. Who history, but sometimes you get him sort of, you feel like he's the teeniest bit condescending because he's talking to a mere human. Mm-hmm. This just seemed like scientist to scientist yeah. and, and uh, him being impressed with a good piece of work, mm-hmm. which is nice. It is kind of cool. I like her. I like her. she. She's almost ha- she's almost more effective in this than the actual companions. Um, almost. I, well, I say that only because it just feels blasphemous in a way to um, to say that about Jamie and Victoria. But it is kind of true. Yeah, I mean they're they're doing their best. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they they don't have the expertise. No. That Anne Travers does. No, because right now science is helping them, as opposed to just familiarity with the with the Yeti. Um, and it's gonna have to, it's gonna take science, I suppose, to get to get us out of this mess. I sure hope something will. Why? 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 I wonder what how we'll figure out what will happen to the crew after this. We're just gonna watch episodes five and six at some point, I assume. Yeah, that was just a segue to the end of this podcast. <laughs> That was a weird segue. <laughs> I know. All segues are weird for me. We're not watching them tonight, though. That's far too late. Yeah, I think it's, it's already sort of sleepy, Doctor Who. I, I was yawning while we were watching it. And it's a school night because um, I have work tomorrow. It's true. It's a Sunday night. Let's relish this relatively lazy and calm Sunday night for us since uh, starting next Sunday, it'll become a much more hectic environment for both our other Doctor Who podcasts, Radio Free Scarrow and Verity. Um, because, hey, happy times. Doctor Who is coming back. It's on a Sunday, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. Uh, speaking of Jodie Whittaker and the promo, it says, okay, let's get a shift on. And we thought that we had never heard that phrase before. And then staff in this, come on, get a shift on. And I never <laughs> put that together. So now twice it's been said in, the doc- in Doctor Who at least. Yeah, I'm sure that's a fairly common phrase in, in the UK. And I, I would bet that both of us have heard it before and just it was one of those things that just sort of slid by us or we just kind of figured in context but yeah those are words that I would never have put together in that in that order Mm -hmm. uh to and know what it meant so yeah when I heard uh, Jodie Whittaker say it in the in the trailer I was like I I understood what she said but I was just like does she mean what does she mean? Does she mean hurry up? Like, because there's not that they're they're not showing you very much, so there's not a whole lot of context. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, here we get to see it, and I was like, okay, I guess that that is what it That's means. And I guess they've been saying that for decades. Yeah. I think Staff is from the north too. I think isn't he? In the sounds of it, yeah, maybe it's a northern thing. 
maybe it is. UK listeners, tweet at us and tell us this because we're too lazy to dig it up for ourselves. Very lazy. We're going to learn a lot about the Northern accent over the next 10 weeks, I think, with Jody's doctor. The Northern accent? The one and only Northern accent. All of the North. London North. All of that is one accent. Just like people think that there's a Canadian yeah. accent and they say a boat. Nobody around here says a boat, people. Nobody does. Sorry, sorry a boot. Everybody around here says a boat, yeah. <laughs> not a boot. See, a I even got it wrong because there's, there's so many. There are many. There's at least three Canadian accents. <laughs> the one you know probably is in Ontario and we are not in Ontario. Yeah. And then there's Western and then there's French Canadian accent. Yeah, Canadian. Halifax, Newfoundland, oh. PEI. There's all sorts of different dialects out there. The Newfie accent is amazing. It's- it's like Irish, but not. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. I'd love to see Doctor Who maybe shoot <gasps> in Newfoundland. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they even, they did a movie, what an odd tangent at the end <laughs> of this thing, uh, called The Shipping News, which was set and filmed in Newfoundland. And they brought um, Judy Dench and Kevin Spacey. Um, and they were doing, and they were based, even Judy Dench, James Judy Dench was essentially doing an Irish accent. Mm. Uh, she didn't quite, quite get it. But then they had legendary Canadian actor Gordon Pinsent showing them exactly how it's supposed to be done because he's Gordon Pinsent. Um, and he was obviously doing the proper Newfoundland accent. So so here's our legendary actor who's not really known much outside of Canada showing Dame Judi Dench how it's done. Newfoundland, not Newfoundland. Newfoundland and Labrador, which is a half an hour later, uh, which is exactly where we are after that weird tangent. So uh, we should probably wrap up. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, until the next time we watch some uh, Lazy Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Goodbye.